sun-filled Daytona. Pasta or chicken? The flight attendant said. Pasta, please, and thank you. I got myself situated comfortably in my seat and proceeded to devour my tasty meal. In spite of flying coach, or cattle class as some of my colleagues like to call it, it was a fairly enjoyable experience. The plane was operating well below capacity and there was no one seated next to me, which is the holy grail of convenience for an overnight international flight. I was also in a rather unique state of mind, so it's possible that I was overlooking some of the shit that would normally drive me up a wall. Like watching someone repeatedly attempt to place in the overhead bin an awkwardly shaped bag that was always destined for the plane's undercarriage, insisting on trying every possible angle in spite of the fundamental laws of physics, until being forced to give up and being told by a member of the crew that would have to be checked. Or, better yet, having my seat kicked for hours on end by an inconsiderate passenger planted right behind me, who just couldn't seem to control their nicotine withdrawals for a seven-hour flight. None of that bothered me in my Buddha-like frame of consciousness. My mind was both literally and figuratively dancing in the sky, with a profound sense of gratitude. Upon landing, I sent my wife a quick text letting her know I was alright. Surprisingly, given the time difference, she promptly replied, Cool. Are you excited? You're going to pick it up now, before you leave the airport, right? That's the plan, I replied. We'll send you some photos when I get to the hotel. As I exited the plane... I followed the flight transfer signs to ensure I was able to make my way to the terminal with the high-end boutique storefronts for which Zurich International Airport is known. This might have been the first time I've actually strolled through an airport because I was genuinely in no rush. I was already where I wanted to be. The jet lag started creeping in about halfway through my walk to my special destination, but that didn't deter me from staying the course. As I stared down the boutique Boucherar, now directly before me, I felt excited. It had been a long time coming. I took one step into the establishment, as if on cue, a choir of trumpets began to play in perfect harmony. An angel, halo and all, floated down from the ceiling and began to play the lyre flawlessly, and to sing, you know, like an angel would. Shit just got weirder from there. Two children, in perfect unison, carried in a literal red carpet and rolled it out ahead of me. This was immediately followed by a small chimpanzee, wearing a tuxedo and smoking a pipe that proceeded to throw fragrant pink rose petals in my path. As I walked inside, the crescendo continued to build. A Buckingham Palace-style guard stepped in front of me and unfurled a massive scroll. He began to read the words loudly, strangely with a British accent, which drew a crowd of peasant farmers and frequent flyers to huddle around me in anticipation. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pleasure that I deliver this treasure unto Master Richard Vinhays of the United States of America. He then raised a timepiece into the air, which caused the crowd first to let out a collective gasp, then to cheer wildly. As he positioned it on my wrist, I closed my eyes. When I opened them, everyone was gone, and the room was silent. The lovely sales rep that had closed my transaction had just waved goodbye, and off I went with a smile. Yes, I had traveled 3,920 miles to Switzerland to buy a watch. Let me be the first to say that I'm very much aware that this might sound excessive or even a little crazy to most people. The irony is not lost to me that in today's day and age, you could pretty much buy anything and have it shipped to your doorstep. The experience was amplified, oddly enough, by a recent life event, a day that still occasionally trickles into my nightmares. You see, two weeks before my errand in Switzerland, 
My father nearly died of a heart attack. I made it to the hospital in time to watch him struggle with severe chest pain as the staff feverishly assessed his condition. Moments later, they told me to kiss him goodbye just in case, as they were about to wheel him into emergency surgery. The experience was as terrifying as it sounds. I know what you might be thinking right now. Rich, why would you travel so far to buy an insignificant, inanimate object? And why would you still do it so soon after your father's ordeal? Well, let me explain. Before I get into the why, I would like to provide some context on the what. In early 2016, Rolex released a brand new Rolex Daytona that instantly took the world by storm. It is one of the most iconic designs in the storied brand's entire collection, which generally speaking is made up of only winning products. Take a moment to think of the most prestigious designs you can for any luxury brand. The Ferrari Enzo, the Hermes Birkin, etc. Yeah, Daytona is the equivalent of that for Rolex. It was recently made even more famous when a vintage 1968 Daytona was sold at auction for $17.8 million. Yeah, you read that correctly. It is currently the most valuable wristwatch ever. It was originally owned by Hollywood star Paul Newman, who has become synonymous with vintage Daytonas for a variety of reasons. Hence why the watch recently sold was called Paul Newman's Paul Newman Daytona. Ask the Google if you would like to learn more about it. The 2016 version of the watch I referenced earlier is basically a modern-day incarnation of the Daytona, but it pays respects to its roots and maintains many of its original design elements. After trying on the watch for the first time in early 2017, I decided it was the next watch I truly wanted. The problem was that the watch had and continues to have a one to two year minimum wait list at its authorized dealers, and buying in the secondary market would mean a 30 to 40% or more premium to get it right away. A dear friend of mine put in a good word for me at his trusted authorized dealer, but he made no promises. Bottom line, the watch was very difficult to obtain at its retail price, and getting your hands on it at all usually requires you to be willing to pay through the nose for it. My wife often refers to me, I think lovingly, as someone who quietly behaves as though we're living through the precipice of another Great Depression. Unforeseen catastrophe can befall us at any moment, and we should always be prepared for darker days. In other words, there was no way I was going to be paying a fucking premium for that watch, no matter how much I wanted it. I decided to take the responsibly boring path of pushing the idea completely out of my thick head. To continue my wife's ridiculously hurtful analogy, I returned to my dispassionate stuffing of my money under our mattress. Guess it just wasn't meant to be. Maybe three months later, I received an unexpected phone call. It was the friend I had mentioned earlier who had put in a good word for me at his authorized Rolex dealer. It turns out said friend, nope, you can't have his name, is a baller with some juice. I can neither confirm nor deny this, but I have a sneaking suspicion that I inadvertently played leapfrog over a very long existing wait list of eager customers, and I was up next. The only catch, which was a pretty big one, was that they could not ship it internationally. I could purchase the watch only if I were willing to travel all the way to Europe to pick it up in person. Seeing that we are practically family at this point, and given that I've already confided in you, the deeply private fact that my misanthropic wife thinks I have Ebenezer Scrooge-like qualities, I'm delighted to share how she reacted when I told her my game plan. The conversation went something like this. Sweetie, I would like to buy a new watch. It's expensive, and I'll need to travel to Switzerland to pick it up. I'm planning on turning it into a long weekend, so you'll need to keep an eye on Little Man while I'm gone. Cool with that? 
I kid you not, she stared coldly into my vulnerable soul for a solid 30 seconds, without saying a word, and then laughed directly in my face. Under her breath, she muttered, You almost had me there, as she walked away. Despite this inauspicious initial response, she did eventually get on board with the idea, and she even encouraged me to follow through it even more than once. In my head, I had an opportunity to buy a special watch that I wanted, one that I could add to my collection and be proud to hand down to my son one day. The cherry on top was that I could bundle the splurge together with a unique travel experience, which would make it that much more memorable and all-around badass. Win-win, right? Ah, for the math nerds out there doing some quick calculations of the additional cost of flight and lodging, and how it would probably equate to the premium I would pay if I just bought it on the secondary market, well, you're probably right, you observant little geek. Fortunately, I had enough airline miles and hotel points to cover the entire journey, so the numbers made sense as well. Not long after my mental commitment to the plan, the piece finally arrived at the boutique. It was on. Unfortunately, things would take an unexpected turn. In the early afternoon of Saturday, September 9, 2017, I received a frantic phone call from my sister. I'll never forget the raw emotion in her voice as she related what was going on with our father. It sounded bad. As I sped to the hospital, the world around me melted away. The only thing that mattered in that moment was being there for my dad, and I desperately prayed that everything would be okay. For most of my childhood and young adult life, my dad was my soccer coach. I was obsessed with the sport, and he actively enabled that obsession by pushing me to be the best I could be. Before long, that ambition would be baked into everything I did, which would carry over to school and eventually my professional career. He literally shaped the man I would become. Back when I was 13 or 14, I recall having a tough soccer practice during which I played like shit, and my dad was really riding my ass. I remember him at one point stopping the practice to take me aside. I thought he was going to ream me out some more, but instead he gently put his hand on my shoulder and told me to take a deep breath. Control what I could control, and never give up, no matter how bad things got. He ended practice shortly after that. That memory, which I had not thought of in over a decade, crept into my head, clear as day, right as I pulled into the hospital parking lot. Thankfully, my sister had been hanging out with my father that day, and she made the decision to take him to the walk-in clinic when he first started exhibiting symptoms. Upon being checked, the on-site physician made the split decision to call for an ambulance, and have him immediately transported to the hospital emergency room. He knew right then and there that my dad was on the verge of a full-on heart attack. I shudder to think of what might have happened if my stubborn father wasn't with my sister that day. The time spent waiting in the emergency room was excruciating. My sister and I tried to comfort each other, but we mostly sat in silence as we each tried to process the brief words the doctor had left with us before leaving to prepare for the procedure. In the end, everything worked out just fine. The doctor had removed a severe blockage and implanted two stents to prop open a couple of risky arteries to ensure the normal blood flow to the heart. Prior to the surgery, my father's skin was jaundiced. His fingertips had turned black, and he could hardly speak because of the incredible amount of back and chest pain he was experiencing. Less than 30 minutes after the surgery, he looked totally fine. It was as though nothing had happened at all. My dad was suddenly in good spirits, and he even asked when he could go home because he had some things he wanted to take care of around the yard. In the weeks that followed, I spent a lot of time with my dad as he worked through his recovery. Quite frankly, I just wanted to spend time with him. Once his health stabilized a bit, however, I reconsidered whether my upcoming trip to Switzerland still made sense. 
I toyed with the idea of canceling it on multiple occasions. It just didn't seem a good use of my time anymore. It felt selfish. More accurately, it felt meaningless. In a chat with my dad around that time, he seemed a bit off, almost sad. He explained how he felt physically trapped with the recent doctor's orders, which prevented him from doing the things he loved, like gardening or working with his hands around the yard. It was only a temporary restriction, but it had a direct impact on his happiness just the same. I eventually managed to cheer him up by sharing a few fun family stories of the past, and even planted the seeds of inspiration for some do-it-yourself projects that he could take on in the future. I casually floated my trip to my dad to see how he would react. I didn't share any of the details behind the purpose of the trip, nor did I tell him that I was on the fence about making the trip at all. His response gave me all the motivation I needed. You like to travel, right? Go enjoy yourself. He said so matter-of-factly that it sort of caught me off guard. Of course he was right, but not just for the limited reason he described. Because of him, the trip would have a much deeper meaning. During several heartbreaking coming-of-age moments earlier in my life, my dad was usually a man of few words. It was my mom that would do a lot of the heavy lifting, but that didn't make his words of wisdom any less impactful. During those times of tribulation, he would often say a phrase to me in Portuguese that would roughly translate to, you can't experience the highs in life without also experiencing the lows. He would go on to say that the only way to experience those highs in life was by following your passions and working hard at maintaining them. My journey to buy my watch was the equivalent of my father working intently in his garden. The common denominator here is the underlying passion. In the case of my watch, some will forever see it as a meaningless and overpriced object, and that's okay. But to me, it's a tangible piece of history that will always have a special story to tell about a particular phase of my life. In this case, the story will be of an individual who cared enough to sacrifice in order to acquire something that he wanted, and was also willing to go to great lengths to attain. The act itself embodied a passion that went well beyond a prestigious brand, or a timepiece with an impressive set of technical components. At its core, it was all about the passion for life itself. It just so happened to come in a Swiss-made form and a plane ticket to Europe. On my final day in Zurich, I spent an entire afternoon seated outside, sipping a coffee as I gazed at the flocks of tourists checking out the area. It was a balmy and sunny day, so people were out in droves. I thought deeply about my journey, and I spent an inordinate amount of time just staring at my new Daytona while doing so, and grateful for all of life's little gifts, including my being able to experience the country in such a unique way. I felt both extremely fortunate that my father survived his ordeal, and grateful for all of life's little gifts, including my being able to experience the country in such a unique way. There were a few moments when the sun's rays bounced beautifully off the watch's bezel as I turned my rest. It was during one such moment that I realized my sun-filled Daytona would also forever be linked in my memory with my father. I guess the traumatic events leading up to the trip and the journey itself left a permanent mental mark on the watch, which I had not anticipated in any way. It was a pleasant, unexpected surprise, and it filled me with great pride to think that whenever I wear the watch in the future, I'll think of him. In my opinion, you can't put a price tag on that. It just makes the story of the watch that much more meaningful to me, and only further fuels my passion for the hobby. A wise man once told me you can't experience the highs in life without also experiencing the lows. Oh man, did I experience that full range of emotions with this story. I guess that's life. So take a deep breath, control what you could control, 
and never give up no matter how bad things get. And to think, if I hadn't taken the next step with the WatchFam to get engaged and network with fellow enthusiasts, I wouldn't know the kind of happiness I do today. At time value STL.